Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. When you look back at your failures, are you tempted to point the finger at all of the things and the people outside of your control and say that, that was the reason I wasn't successful? Well, this week's guest gives us one of the best come-up stories we've heard in a while. Friend of Power Athlete and 2018 Symposium speaker Ben Crookston talks all about the obstacles that challenged him in creating the notorious platform Train Heroic. While he and his team had their share of setbacks, he never paused to point the finger. He took each failure as an education and charged forward with even more resilience and persistence than before. His stories of hustling in any way possible to make the dream a reality just short of that blowy guy from Fire Festival, are awe-inspiring. Now Ben has a couple of self-driving cars and robot butlers, and you can too. This is episode 297. Power Athlete Nation, it's that time again to bring forth the rhythm and the rhyme. That's right, people. It's time for another episode of the premier podcast in are you gonna do it tex strength, strength. <laughs> and conditioning, conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. your you know, lisp if uh i don't know how big of fans we have that listen to this who have creeped through the wormhole to find harry Heptonstall's instagram but he put out some i know i saw it ing 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 designs word on the street is He's become overwhelmed with emails to Harry at PowerAthleteHQ.com demanding an ing, ing, ing shirt for our loyal listeners <laughs> of Power Athlete Radio. Who, uh, like the, the seven of them? You get seven emails? Yes, exactly. And that's a lot for Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, if you want an ing, ing, ing shirt to be made, send an email to Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, at PowerAthleteHQ.com. And make sure to request the color. Anything but black. But if you spell color with an O-R, he's not going to understand it. So O-U-R. O-U-R. C-O-L-O-U-R. C-O-L-O-U-R. Then he'll understand Yeah, they, that's how they spell it in the ivory tower. <laughs> Over on the island. Yeah. But enough about shirts. Let's talk programming. Mm, my favorite. No, wait. We're going to save that for the whole podcast. Ooh. Let's talk. Education. Academy. Becoming a better coach. Well, Tex, what's going on with Power Athlete Academy these days? Power Athlete Academy, we are on to our eighth semester, so we're talking two years of educa- education and empowering coaches. Mm-hmm. Over, f- what, 400, we're upwards of... Couple, 550. Five, 550 people in the pipeline, baby, and that can be you. You could be 551. So we're talking nine sections, so we break down the Power Athlete methodology into nine digestible sections, 44 lessons... 136 page strength and conditioning workbook for you to hold on to once you are through the course. This mm-hmm. is something you'll always be able to reference throughout your strength and conditioning career. Mm-hmm. And some feedback we've got on that book is a, it's a breath of fresh air because it's not just fucking lab coat donkey talk that text likes reading. We've actually put some personality in there. It's some good content. It's digestible. It breaks it down for you. It's a great study guide to go along with the course. So this is at your own pace, online course, people. And if you're interested, you want to become a power athlete coach, block one coach. You want to be, you want to become eligible to come out to power athlete ranch where John lives and the crew tends to the fields all day, every day, every week you need and earn you need to and earn your block. You literally need to welded first. Get through the methodology course to prove your 
worth in salt. Wait, what is what? What's the salt analogy? Worth you, your weight in salt. Yes, you're once, worth you're worth your weight in salt. One back from back when salt was a currency. So people get in there. Academy.powerathletehq.com. That's where you can find all the info that you need. And hell, if you got questions that are unanswered on that site, you can shoot an email to academy at powerathletehq.com. So what are you waiting for? And did we mention 1.5 NCA CEU? Ooh. That's a lot. That is a lot. What are, well, like, what are standard CEUs for like other courses, Tex? Isn't it like 0. 0.2, 0. 0.1, shit like that? I think 0. 0.1 equals one hour mm-hmm. of education. And you need 2.0 for our category specifically that we're represented in that continuing education space. Mm-hmm. So you basically get three years worth by taking our course. No shit. Yeah. Fuck. Why, why wouldn't they? It's entertaining. They get to listen Infotaining. to us. Infotaining. Infotainment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But enough about us, I guess. Well, more about us. Let's get on to the podcast. <laughs> Again, people, academy.powerathletehq.com. But now let's get into our guest for today's podcast. Good friend of ours, partner in crime. He's one of the founders of Train Heroic, which is the platform that we publish all of our daily training on. If you were following Power Athlete Training, you were using the app that was this man's brainchild and uh, also a speaker at the Power Athlete Symposium. We just released released his lecture or his talk presentation on our YouTube channel, which it was one of my, I mean, they were all fucking epic talks, but he kicked it off. It was pulled together in a short period of time. Uh, let's let's chit chat with Ben Crookston, founder of Train Heroic. Ben, so how are you? Good man. Are we uh, on? Yeah. We we're record. never not on. Dude. Yeah, we're, we're fucking we're on. always on. Bro. Always <laughs> on. ABO. Always we're be on. on. Uh, so is it work from home day at Train Heroic? What's the deal? You know, I just was trying to find a quiet place, some solitude so I could do this thing. CEO, he's probably in like Tahoe. Like, no, no, founder. Oh, no, wait, hold on. He should be with the other CEOs at their ayahuasca retreat in Chile or Argentina. Burning Man. Burning Man, Lake Tahoe. I mean, that's what CEOs do. They just travel around and set these epic lives, and then they got to you know unplug for 30 days so they can get in touch with their animal spirits. Spirit animals, John, Jesus. Oh, you're, clearly not, you're clearly not in the CEO room. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm a, it's true, 100%. So, Ben, last time you guys were on the airwaves here, Power at the Radio, episode 146. Whoa. Wow. That many years ago? Mm-hmm. So things have changed. Uh, and how timely to have you on. We just pushed out your, your talk to YouTube from the symposium. Uh. Right? And that's catching a lot of traction. I know a lot of our coaches really digging on it, watching it again. So, but, uh, so what, yeah, back to John. What's cooking with you, man? Lots cooking. Team's growing. Um, we are learning a whole heck of a lot, mostly just by falling and tripping over ourselves. Uh, you know, John was riffing before on just talking about learning from failure. And it's like, you know, we, we talk about that all the time, just building up the scar tissue so you actually learn those painful lessons. And invariably, you know, as I reflect even on, on each year, I do like an annual review. And I reflected on this year, and it's like I went through a ton of really challenging things. I think actually I, I looked at, I saw something that came through and it was like, here's the 20 most stressful things, life stressors you could have. And I had like eight of them in the same year. And, and I looked back during that year and I was just like, every one of those things are the things that taught me the most. 
Now at the time I was like, fuck that. This is not fun. This is not a good time. But in retrospect, those are the stressors. Those are the kind of maximal efforts that you have to go through to really grow yourself and develop your character. So I think as a leader, um, man, that's massively helpful to go through those challenges. It's never fun. Uh, it's, you know, it's not fun for anybody. But if you have the right mindset about it, there's massive takeaways that you can have, have in those experiences. Um, so what's happened? What's new? Uh, we have done a lot. Uh, we restructured. So we have a holding company that we're part of. You guys had Anders Ericsson on the podcast. He wrote his book, Peak. Uh, our holding company just so happens to be named Peaksware. Uh, those things were definitely coincidental. Peaksware predated the book Peak. Um, but we both share a deep belief in the idea of deliberate practice. And that's something we, we borrowed from him. We appropriated that into kind of our brand methodology across all the brands. And so what that means was we've had to basically learn how to re-dance again. Uh, our, our chairman and chief investor stepped into the operating CEO of the holding company. Each of us then, the brand leads, have, have then had more specified roles. So to date, I've been, um, like I have a unilateral focus now. I'm, I'm managing the product, making that what it needs to be and evolving that to the potential that it has. Um, and then working with our top partners, working with folks like yourselves, working with our partners at Play and Sorenex, USAW, things of that nature, uh, and then building other, other relationships. But it's been, I would say, a radical year of change, right? And, and I think as coaches, that's what we look to do. We look to introduce change into people's lives, hopefully the appropriate amount of change so they, they get to the boiling point, not the breaking point. Uh, I was probably over the, the breaking point of call. Again, massive life lessons, walk away, surviving much stronger and ready to make a bigger impact on the world. Wow. Sounds fucking tumultuous, bro. So I don't know anything you're willing, anything, you're willing, anything you're willing to share. I mean, in terms of what you were tripping over last year. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those things uh, on the personal front, a lot of them are also good, right? Like change is change. It's not good nor bad. It's just change. And uh, so personally bought a house, got engaged. Uh, my fiance uh, has been going through her own career changes, different things on that front. Uh, had a few family members with uh, significant illness and, and challenge on the health front. Um, and then, you know, career wise, just learning a new role. We're learning how to operate at a scale that is different, right? Um, as the organization evolves, you have to evolve as well. You can't, you know, what, what Andy says is like, you know, what got us to the point that we, we were at today is not going to get us to where we need to go tomorrow. And as a function of that, I had to say, okay, how do I adapt? What is going to be required of me as a leader? What skills, competencies, and mindsets am I going to have to change so that I can show up in the way that my team needs me to? Um, and admittedly, that was massively challenging. Uh, you know, going from kind of overseeing the entire business, being lightly involved with everything, but never super deep on any specific area, uh, lends itself very well to my skill set. I'm kind of a generalist by nature. I have some certain specialties for sure. Uh, and they are more in the creative and leadership realm. But uh, having that kind of shift in perspective, where we had to go from basically all generalists to very deep specialists, and then also scaling our team, you know, no less than three years ago, we were seven people. Now we're 
20 will shortly be 25. And knowing how to lead in each of those different contexts demands a very different set of skills. Um, and so like being able to operate in one plane and then in the background, having to constantly upskill yourself is just a demanding challenge to go through. For sure, dude. So exciting stuff on that front. What are, what are the challenges that you're facing is being this, this specialist now just kind of taking it into a one dimensional approach to your daily flow? Um, well, luckily my role still gets to kind of touch all sides of business, right? When overseeing product development, we are deeply committed to our customer. So I'm constantly working with our, our customer success or sales and marketing teams to just get the word on the street. We also still go out and press flesh and talk to our customers directly. And their feedback is, is ultimately the gas that fuels our tank. Um, hearing from our customers and solving their problems is like, man, that's the crack that we work for, for sure. Um, so that hasn't been too tough, but actually being more deeply embedded into our product development culture, um, but making sure that we're creating space for all of our engineers, engineering leads, designers, product managers to really showcase their unique brilliance and not come in and just kind of like squelch any of that. Um, you know, like I, I bring a certain energy to the table. I've uh, learned that over time in particular. And um, within the product space, you know, we, we deal with a lot of different personalities and being able to balance that and figure out where do you fit in and figure out what's the right level of involvement for different projects. Um, how specifically do you need to be directing? And what's the difference between, you know, really providing direction and providing and actually doing all the driving yourself? Um, and so my role very much is kind of very, like air traffic control. I still just kind of point the direction, get the troops in order. Um, but they, they carry it all out. They're the ones who do, you know, all, all the brilliant work. Uh, I kind of like to think myself as being the band manager and they're, they're the band, you know, at the end of the day, I try to get them excited. I try to make sure they get the right gigs. I try to make sure that the song's right. Um, but they're the ones who have to come together and they make it sound good. Could you imagine just adding five people to the team right now and having to train those dudes up, dudes and chicks up. And a lot of them would, you know, we'd have to get a power athlete safe space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I don't think we should get a thing, a safe space. I'm, I'm requesting for a friend. Well, we do. It's the bathroom. <laughs> it's, where, it's where you get to go Actually, hide. There's no door on that. That's why we have no fucking door on the bathroom. You have to go in there and, you know, like an adult. Fucking piss outside. <laughs> but what if you sit when you pee? Tex. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tex was forced to sit when he pees. That's why he had all sisters. Ah, yeah. He didn't even know. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, they nailed the toilet seat down. That's what happens when you get all, basically all girls in the house. And then you know what you do? You just piss all over that toilet seat. Oh, yeah. I made him regret that decision growing yeah. up. What were we talking about? I don't remember. <laughs> Safe space. <laughs> Scale, I guess scaling. Is. Scaling. Scaling. Adding people. So, Ben, I guess going back to where we opened up a little bit, like... Do you, know, do you know one of the greatest pranks ever played? Saran wrap. Saran wrap. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. When Everyone you were talking was. about it, I was like, God, Saran wrapping the top of the toilet and putting the toilet seat. <laughs> the bounce back deuce, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> God damn it. That's the, uh, to this day, might be the greatest prank ever fucking played. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, as soon as we had toilet seat and you gave me that look, I'm like, I think he's going to oh, yeah. toilet seat. Oh, that's the there. best. I love it. But uh, no, so Ben, going, I guess, bridging conversations 20 minutes apart, 
do you ha- I mean, are a lot of the folks coming in on the younger side? Like, is there this I generation coming in to train heroic that uh, creates an, a balance of culture that you kind of have to manage? Or is it just since you're in that tech space, are you, like, does the culture kind of auto-regulate? Uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. I, I think our, our greatest filter for that, you know, we, we don't really have folks who I think struggle with that in that way. We have very resilient, durable people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of that has been us, especially over the last 12 months or so, working to do a better job. I think Power Athlete does a kick-ass job on this, like defining your actual culture, articulating it, and then being outward about that. Um, Not too many folks come to Power Athlete and be like, I don't know what these guys stand for. Like, I I don't think people would Just when they go to our website. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. But like, nobody would apply to Power Athlete I think, now I don't know, but I, I wouldn't think they would have those same expectations based on the branding and, and kind of the culture that's being pushed. And I think we've made a lot of strides on that front. I think it's something we probably suffered from more previously than we do today. Um, but actually over the last like six months and change, once I stepped into the role, this was one of the first things I tackled was just kind of repositioning, redefining, and not necessarily um, changing who we were, but actually probably going back to the roots, cleaning that up, you know, stripping down the cruft, making sure that was really true to our own identity. And once we get good at talking about those things, people somewhat self-select, you end up getting roughly the right people. Um, and, and if not, like at least you have this filter that you can quickly sift through them and make sure that the right ones are sticking. Um, so we've been super fortunate. Um, every, every new team member we've brought in over the last six months, I feel like is better than last. And uh, those people make it a joy to do the work. And it's like, you know, the work we do is inherently challenging, inherently complex. And so you need those kind of people because otherwise it is a massive energy suck to constantly have to reinforce that. Um, And I think our leadership team in particular has done a a lot of work as well to level up and, and to start to articulate that culture in a way that reinforces, you know, the brand positioning, the messaging that we put out there. It's like, Hey, that's really good. But if it's on a poster and it's not being communicated each and every day and it's not being driven down to a process level and a tactical execution level, nothing's going to stick. And um, that's made it, I, I think, pretty easy for us. We, we haven't suffered from any eye generation issues that I know of. Um, but I don't know, maybe we're all suffering from it and we are in an echo chamber and uh, we do have a confirmation bias. And I think we definitely do have confirmation. (laughs) Well, I mean, the other thing is, uh, like, like I, as I was reading that that book and really thinking about, there's no way to go put the genie back in the bottle. Like the, like the, uh, but I think what we will see is we'll see this kind of change. Like we're going to see like everything going this way and then we'll see this huge backlash. And like, I remember, uh, was it last year or maybe early this year? Remember we, we saw all those phones come out that were just like, just like just text and just phone call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and, was peeking into them. I forget what they're. Yeah, and then there's. I, uh, I think we're going to go to this idea where having the world in your pocket and having access to that level of information at all times is not helping us in any way. And I think through research and a million other factors, we're going to realize that uh, that having the ability to connect and access 
uh, is good. But I think at the end of the day, too much is, is just too much. I mean, to be able to, you know, and they, uh, they talked pretty extensively in the book about like depression and anxiety and suicide rates among girls being very, very high due to the fact that there is this like social media FOMO, fear of being left out, fear of missing out, where it creates this longing where you're seeing all these people have so much fun and what's wrong with my life. And uh, it's just, it creates anxiety and it creates depression in kids. And I think that because they don't have any, like I, I look at this and I remember a time before where if you're, you know, you call your buddy and he didn't answer, then like, all right, well, I'm fucking going to go out and do something. Then all of a sudden you call your buddy, they don't answer, or you text them, they don't hit you back and you turn on social media and see them out having really good fun or doing something really cool without you. Like that would be kind of hurtful. And then, but as an adult, I look at it and think like, I'm way more fun than anybody else. Fuck them. I'm going to go out and have my own fun. So, but like I have the ability to have that perception and like I, like a place to stand and look from. So then when you have kids who have grown up in this existence where they've never known anything but this, I think you're, you know, I think we're going to see that it's, it's harmful. And I think we're going to start to understand that, uh, that, you know, less technology and more outdoor, more free, you know, free time, let kids develop like more free range humans as, as, uh, as I think they were calling free range kids. I think it's going to be more important. And I just think it's going to be people stressing their kids to get them out and, and uh, just forcing them. But it, it all starts with parents. I mean, people are always like, oh, kids are changed. And my kids haven't changed. Kids are still kids. It's the fucking parents. And I know this because I have to go to events with other parents and I look out there and I'm like, God damn it. Like, this is awful. And um, yeah, so it's, it's where we're at. But yeah, I, Like that idea of putting the genie back in the bottle, it's like, I actually wonder from a, from a narrative perspective, is our phone actually Pandora's box? Did we just open it? Yeah. And are we like now actually living out a myth? Well, like, well, we were talking about what was it? The, uh, the Dunning, Dunning Kruger. Yeah. The Dunning Kruger effect where the dumbest people in the world don't know that they're the dumbest people. Overestimate their yeah. abilities. Yeah. That's what it is. I don't, they have the least intelligent people overestimate their abilities. Like, Basically, the dumbest people in the world don't know they're the dumbest and think that they are the smartest people because they have access to <laughs> because they have access to the same information that everybody else does. Yeah. And because like back in the day, like I remember uh, and I know I'm going to date myself here, but in college, we actually had to go to the library and you go to the stacks and you'd study and you would pull. And I were, like was laughing, to, like talking about like microfiche. And all these things to be able to pull all this information. And there was information, but you had to go mine it. It just wasn't in your hand. So it took, uh, you know, some time. It took some expertise and it took actually a desire to go find the information. And I think information has become so passive to us, like we can just Google it. And I, uh, so that Dunning-Kruger effect is, I think, what's really getting us fucking down this interesting road. And I see it all the time. I see it on Facebook. I see it on social media. I see it like the least intelligent people are the ones pushing their ideas the most. And I like listen to this and I, I see it and I kind of am a, in a bit of a spectator because uh, I always remember my dad told me that if uh, you engage in an argument with a dumb person, you have to drop to their level, which makes you dumber. So if you want to argue and be more intelligent, like if you, you need to argue and you need to converse and like battle people that are smarter than you. So you have to up your game. If you constantly are arguing with dumb people, they will bring you to their level and prove it to you over and over again. And uh, I just thought that was a really interesting thing. And like, I remember talking to my dad about, Hey, I, I want to go to Berkeley. And he's like, there'll be a lot of smart people for there for you to argue and you will up your game and you'll be smarter for it. 
And um, that was what I hoped for when I went to college. And I like when I see the internet and I, or not the internet, but when I see Facebook and a lot of these people battling and these, you know, definitive statements and here, and I, I read this and I'm like, dude, this is, and if anybody's in our coaches collective, like anybody's in our power athlete ecosystem and I know them and I see them doing this, I fucking call them on that immediately. I'm like, stop this nonsense. This, this is making you look bad and it's making us look bad. And I will fucking split their wig on this stuff. And normally they'll be like, Oh yeah, sorry. I'll be like, dude, you're getting way too emotional in this and you're basically expouting nonsense. Hold it back. And uh, I do that as a, as a um, not only because it reflects upon me, but I look at the people that are within our power athlete ecosystem as needing mentors and we're allies in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want you to do is put yourself out there in a bad light. And the problem is, is I don't think that there's enough people that can discern this anymore. Um, you know, one of my favorite people to talk about this is Rob Wolf. We do, we talk... Like what's interesting and what was cool about the symposium is I got a chance to sit across the table from Rob. What people don't realize is I talk to Rob every single day. We either text or on a phone call almost every single day and he sends me something. We have this like ongoing text battle where like it's a current events information and it's this really great rapport. So much so I've been pressuring him and I think he might be cracking to come to move to Texas. Yeah. Which would be awesome. But, uh, you know, Rob is not only very, very smart individual, but is uh, socially very intelligent and like politics and just has a lot of things outside of nutrition and like being around people like that. He's always a really good barometer. And I think that's what you need. You need barometers and people that you respect that might have a different view or at least be able to give you information so that you can make your own deal. And I don't think people do that anymore. So I'm just wondering how Andy deals with, uh, the younger people, do you guys just keep him away so he doesn't just fucking tear him to shreds? Uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I like, yeah, I think Luke, you said something about the, the age of our of our team, uh-huh. and our team like perfectly resembles our customer base. We did a big market research survey. We had I don't know ten thousand respondents or something like that out of our athletes, and I think the like something like seventy percent or so are right between like twenty five years old and thirty four years old. Like the overwhelming majority of people who use our system, that's that's the, the bandwidth they live in. And so are our employees. Um, and, you know, Andy came to the office the other day and he's like, you just have too many young people. We're, we're, we're the old people. And I'm like, that's a valid point. And I think it's one of those things that like, it is a real challenge. It's something we intentionally work on to increase the diversity of our team because of not for some quota perspective or anything like that, but simply because you need to have differing perspectives to challenge and ultimately sharpen that sword. And uh, within our team, you know, it, it, it starts with Josh and I, right? And it was like, here are two young white dudes. So what did those first attract? More not white. that young anymore. I know. But like, we were young. <laughs> it's like in Wedding Crashers, he's like, just a couple young go-hearts. We're not that young anymore. Yeah. Just a couple kids having a good time. Uh, and that's, you know, you just kind of collect people, right? And that's how it went in the early days. And, you know, we've been much more deliberate on that. We've improved a ton. Um, moving, you know, we were also in, in Boulder and, and kind of on the outskirts there. That was a challenge. We moved down to that. Denver, there's increased diversity that's inherently there, just in a metropolitan kind of city area, and uh, and I think that's that's certainly something we're working on. But it's never easy, you know. Like working in the tech world, uh, you are fighting against every economic principle, right? There's overwhelming demand that's insane through the roof, and there's just a very short supply for very very talented folks. So 
we're always looking for them. Um, but like you have to matrix, you know, for us, especially on the product side, we're looking for a needle in a haystack literally. Cause not only are we looking for top tier tech talent and we're also looking for people who believe what we believe and give a shit about what we give a shit about. And that's a pretty narrow Venn diagram. And so, um, it makes it tough. And you know, when you, when you get down to the finish line you're like, Hey, does it check all the boxes? Oftentimes it doesn't check that last box of, Hey, we're trying to increase our diversity. We're trying to increase this. And it's like, we literally just need people who are really good people who work their asses off, who believe what we believe and are really good at what they do. Cause we don't like, we don't have enough resources to possibly invest in micromanaging these people, nor is that something mm-hmm. we ever want to do. We want to build autonomous people that want to develop mastery in their own craft and believe in the purpose that we believe in. And it's like, we lean on that pretty heavily. Uh, we find it's the most fun way to work. And we didn't get into this deal just to make money. We got into this deal to like have a lot of fun as we do it. And so uh, it's like, if we ever have to sacrifice the fun component and the joy component of our craft, it's like, it's just not worth, worth it, dude. So then let's say at least half of the five of the 10 listeners to this podcast follow our training, which means they're using your app, Train Heroic, right? I think it's a pretty opportune time for them to hear like the the history behind this, the origin, the story behind the app, because maybe they're like, ah, uh, oh, this is taking too long to load. And they don't realize that there is like there is a heritage behind this thing and a team and a personality and a story arc leading up until the to the current version of this as we're talking here, February 2019, which yeah. I think is, you know, it, it has grown significantly from the first fucking day we popped on. That was pretty awful. You know what I mean? But we believed in you. So give the, I mean, give some of these, give, a, give our listeners a background of the origin of Train Heroic. Where, you know, you and Josh cross paths, like a little bit of background. And for those who don't know, like, man, Josh is just a fucking bulldog when it comes to like the customer side of things. Anyone who's Everything. asked for help from the Train Heroic org, it's like a product of Josh. You know, and you guys are fucking ninjas as well. So I don't know. I'll hand it off. Go. We appreciate that. Um, yeah. So Josh and I were, were college buddies. He was actually one of the very first people I met in college. Uh, we met at training camp and, uh, it, you know, this is how you make friends in college. I think it's like, where are you from? And it's like, oh, I'm from Chicago. Where are you from? I'm from Chicago. And it's like, we're living in San Diego. We're like, well, we're the only two people from Chicago. I guess we'll be best friends. That's a good idea. So that's, that's pretty much as thoughtful as that relationship started. Um, but I think the way you put it is so perfect. Like starting a business, I basically had, I knew I wanted to start this thing. Um, I was a, a, a teacher in low income high schools and, um, I bought the domain because I used to be a domain hoarder and, uh, I bought it while I was teaching and partially I was an English teacher. Um, and I was just seeing that like for my kids, you know, they weren't truly motivated or bought in to learning English. Um, and that was a few fold, uh, in terms of reasons, one of which is like, nobody's inherently bought into learning English in a classroom. It's kind of boring or it can be. And two, like nobody's out of 35 kids or whatever it is, not 35 of them are going to like English as their favorite, you know, skill area. And so like, I don't like things that aren't opt in in nature. Like if I have to cajole you and force you to be there, it kind of just like pulls all my energy. And so what I, what I found was like, I enjoyed more taking kids down to the weight room 
and working with the football kids and the basketball kids and whatnot who wanted to get better physically. And what I found is when I would train them physically, they would show up and be better in class. Really simple stuff, like JFK type shit. It was like, hey, let's just do some basic training. Let's get you in touch with your body. And I started to see that their posture would be better. They'd be more confident. They'd be kinder to each other. They'd be more compassionate in their day-to-day lives. And their behavior was better. And once you checked all those boxes, they would learn easier. And I think there was this fundamental thing that was underlining everything, which was those kids didn't have the fundamental belief that if they worked hard, something good would happen. Because they're so used to, you know, I taught 18 year olds and the average reading level was third grade. So every day you show up and you feel like a piece of shit. And you're constantly being reinforced that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough. And no amount of work feels like it's going to solve that gap for you. But physically, if you work just a little bit in a very short period of time, you feel better, right? It's like this intuitive type thing. There's no analysis that needs to go into it. And so I was like, I think there's something here that's, you know, much more purposeful and better than what I started with as an English teacher. I didn't feel like I was having the impact I wanted to do. I was just a training junkie and I just love to be in the gym. And uh, it, it taught me probably more life lessons than any classroom ever did. So I bought the domain the spring. I was uh, in my second year of teaching. And then I called Josh and I was like, before I was calling Josh, I'm like, I hope this guy's not smart enough. So he actually goes along this dumb journey I have. And uh, that's basically what happened. Like Josh is the bulldog. And he, he was like, that yeah. sounds cool. My job sucks. Let's do this. And I was like, okay, do we know anything about software? No. All right. That's a small problem. And um, so like, but not insurmountable. Not well, I always think like whenever problems come up, I'm like, is this an insurmountable problem? Yeah. You know, uh, to, to, and, and I'll give you the good piece of advice that, uh, I, I trained this lawyer, a guy named Mike Molfetta and, uh, Mike was a fucking big time defense attorney work with my brother. And, uh, his whole thing was like, well, let me gauge like the severity of this. And his whole thing was like, are we getting divorced over this? Is, is like with, with his wife, like they get in an argument, he'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Am, I, am I getting divorced over this? Because if I'm getting divorced over this, like then it deserves like the proper level of like fucking application and, and involvement. If we're not getting divorced, all right, I'm, I just want to know where we are. And his whole thing was like, he, he would like, um, he would pay and say, I'm going to come. And then he would flake and I get fucking pissed. I'd be like, dude, I was here. You fucking flaked. He's like, we getting divorced. You going to fire me over this? And I was like, no, he's like, okay, then let's just fucking move on with our day. And then I've eventually fired him. He's like, you didn't fucking tell me you're going to fire me. I'm like, fuck you. But long story short, I think with a lot of these things, you got to understand the severity of it. So. Yeah. And we didn't. And uh, that was probably a good thing, right? Like, I think in some ways it's better to not know because if we did, we never would have taken this on. It was like an absolute shit show in those early years, being non-technical people trying to do highly technical work. Um, and, uh, the, the basic, I think fast forwarding through the story, we, uh, so I was working at a gym and, uh, I would do that from 5am till noon. And then I would race home and I'd work on train rope from noon until I passed out. And I did that every day for three and a half years. Uh, and in the beginning, like, you know, I think there's a testament to why our service is so good and why that's like part of our DNA is because Josh and I were so poor technically that we had to make up for it with like our secret sauce. And we were like, well, we'll just take care of people. We'll take care of them so much that they'll ignore the real problem, which was not like a great thesis whatsoever, but it worked to a degree. Um, and it's definitely now part of our DNA. It's, it's something that I think now the service is on top of, 
the software, not in substitute for the software. Uh, and, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by really good people who have made up our deficits, who have covered our weaknesses, and have taught us things that, like, we would have no ability to learn on our own. Um, and so, flash forward a little bit, uh, we uh, raised a bit of seed money early, uh, most of which came from some members out of a gym that I coached at. Uh, I think teaching those early classes, you know, I'd get up at three 30 and I'd get to the gym and eventually people were like, I think I believe in that dumb kid enough to throw some money at him. Um, and so we did that and that got us so far, but we were working with contractors. So we were just spending money hand over fist. Uh, and the product is inherently complex product. And so it, it, you know, we kept burning through it. We were still very early. We, we didn't have much revenue whatsoever. We basically did anything to patch it together. One of the things that I did is I used to teach my own really shitty seminar uh, because as a high school teacher, I knew that in the state of Illinois at the time, there were only two professional development providers for PE. You guys do the Fuse project. I basically wrote that playbook. So back then I was like, there's two of these things. They're both terrible. Nobody wants to be a part of them. Um, we could overnight write a better seminar and Josh could sell it. And we didn't have software at the time. And so Josh would book these gigs in the outer reaches of Illinois, which it, it turns out Luke Summers can appreciate this, but it turns out it's seven and a half hours tip to top uh, or to bottom in Illinois, which I was like, this is a small state. There's no way this would be hard. And Josh would, the only people he could sell to were like these towns of 300 people where like nobody else would go see him. <laughs> and so every week he would book me one of these deals. He'd pick me up from the gym and he'd just drive us down in the middle of the night down to stay in some rat's ass motel and uh, I'd wake up, we had no money, so we just slug coffee. We, we, we told ourselves we were intermittent fasting. And uh, I'd teach like a six-hour set. And it was dog shit. You know, we were just teaching people very basic primal movements. Um, but like these people had never seen this stuff. And so we would build kind of our email list doing this. And more than anything, we would vet the concepts for what the software would, would become. You know, like uh, there is, you know, some very real principles that go into this. Right. There's, there's like a lean startup methodology, which is effectively you build a concierge MVP of what you're doing before you scale it. You know, before you invest in a system, before you invest to build a feature, all the things that are very expensive, you test that shit out with as many jerry-rigged situations as you can for very cheap to validate that anybody in the world actually would benefit from the solution that you're coming up with. Um, and so we were able to work through a lot of those things in the early days just by getting out there and getting close to the people that we wanted to serve. Um, so after that, uh, I happened to be spotted at one of those seminars by a high school football coach. And at the night, like Josh and I went out to the bar, we're at the coach's social, everybody's drinking beers. We're throwing a few back. And this guy's like, Hey, have you ever wanted some money? Uh, yeah, we definitely do. We really need an investment. He's like, well, I, I think I know a guy. And I'm like, dude, I'm so stressed out at this point. I'm like, this guy's probably watched Shark Tank. He probably thinks he can chip in like $10,000 and own like 95% of the company. I'm like, I don't, I don't think you know the kind of guy. He's like, I, I know the kind of guy. And I'm like, okay, how much money are you talking about? He's like, how much money do you need? I'm like, we need millions of dollars. And he's like, I know that guy. And I'm like, now I'm interested. Plus I'm like 13 beers deep and really dehydrated. And well, you, you've been fasting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, where do I have to go to meet this guy? And the conference happened to be in Wisconsin. Literally the next day, I drove to Milwaukee. And that's when I met Andy. And um, Andy 
literally within 45 days or so made the investment. Um, part of the investment was like, he's like, I strongly recommend that you guys move out to. And so we, at that time we met, um, gear Fisher and Dirk Friel, who are the founders of train peaks. We hit it off with those guys. We kind of looked at them as our big brother and we were like, Hey, we could learn a whole heck of a lot from those guys. Um, and stop fucking this thing up the way we've been doing. <laughs> so, uh, we moved out and, uh, I think that's set the growth path that we've been on today. And, you know, I, it's, it's funny when we talk about the brand and everything like that, it, it's impossible to talk about it without actually talking about where the words train road come from. And the hero piece of that comes from Joseph Campbell's book, the hero with a thousand faces in which he lays out his concept of the hero's journey. And you can look at basically any story arc and you can see the same thing where this hero, this person who is imbued with purpose is pulled down a path. Um, and on that path, they're going to, they're going to cross the threshold and go through massive challenge and obstacle. And this story eventually gets to a point where they're going to be, they're going to die and be reborn. That death is not necessarily a physical death. Oftentimes it's a medical metaphysical death. And really what the story is about is overcoming the ego and overcoming the self. And basically um, the story that uh, every heroic epic is written on from Beowulf to the Iliad, the Odyssey, there's one in Sanskrit. Every culture has their heroic Bible, epic. Literally yeah. everything follows that same, same paradigm um, to a degree. And, and I think within that, it's like for us, we were on our own hero's journey, right? Um, for us, we needed that mentor. We needed that helper. And we were keenly aware of that. And so that's where Andy and Peaks were fit into our equation. We were like, we cannot go through this fight alone. We knew that we had ugly deficits that would never get us to realize the purpose that we had. Um, and so that's where Peaks where has been, you know, massively instrumental in, in guiding us and providing resources, but also providing know-how and, and expertise um, to help us navigate that path. Um, now, I would say this for any hero's journey is like, did they keep us from going through that suffering? No, hell no. Like we suffered plenty along that path, but that was part of us realizing our potential, discovering our own self and actually having that real identity. Um, and so like, what does Train Rogue stand for as a brand? We seek to do the same thing, right? For us, we are training athletes. We are building an army of connected heroes across the world who are finding joy in the journey of training. That's our entire purpose. That's why we exist. So along that thing, we know that every hero, every athlete, needs along that way a mentor and a helper the coach for us is that mentor right we're providing a tool to that coach so they can shepherd that athlete along the path so the athlete can overcome their trials tribulations and ultimately realize their potential and while we are like totally for performance really when we talk about performance we're talking about realizing your potential as a person using athletics using the the field of sport as a platform to teach people life lessons the way it used to be Right. Like when John talked about all these people who have become bizarre and anxious and strange, like a lot of it is, is frankly, we just shifted our, our end, our end. Historically, we used to train characters super, super hard. If you look at the ancients, if you look at the Stoics, if you look at Zen Buddhists, if you look at a lot of ancient cultures, training character was paramount. That was the thing that, that was the end. Yeah, but we're also social beings. I mean, but uh, we're social in the form of like physical interaction, like the, you know, coach to mentor, I mean, or coach to athlete is like, usually it's a, you know, involved process between two people that are connected. And we've gotten into this idea where now like, you know, the mentor and the whole situation can be this kind of digital 
deal. And it's like, I mean, and you know, you saw this, especially with Andy. I mean, when he wasn't actively involved, like, Hey, you know, you, you get on the conference call, you talk, you hear opposed from seeing that dude every day. It's completely different. Totally. And, I, and, and I think that's why, I mean, I, I remember when I read, um, what was it? Um, uh, what was it? Uh, 21 fires, uh, the base camp guys. Remember they wrote, uh, that whole thing about the virtual company. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the guys that, that created base camp, but I remember reading all their stuff about how, you know, the corporate structure is dead, that it's this virtual company. Now you hire contractors. And I remember reading it thinking like, Oh, that's where we have to go to. And now I look back and think fucking mistake. I think uh, you could get away with it, but it's can't. not sustainable. No, and it's then not. it would get to a point like Ben, you were talking about 20, 30 minutes ago is like any shift can get you along that trajectory, but you have to realize and have the wherewithal to, be to, to evaluate and realize, okay, what got us here is not going to get us there. What's got to change. Right? Yeah. And, and that's the, the I mean, evolution. We talk about that all the time. Like, Hey, whatever game plan we were using, isn't going to allow us to get to the next piece. So we have to constantly be pivoting to be able to, you know, keep jumping into the next, you know, into the deeper pools. And uh, I don't know if you can do that without some form of interaction and having to look somebody <laughs> in the eye and deal the deal. I mean, I just, I, I think there was this idea that uh, the internet and technology and everything that was coming out was going to make the world closer, was going to make the world smaller. Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, it, it has made information mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, like meet people. I mean, look how much cool stuff, like with our podcast that we're able to connect with all these different people, but we're getting them on to do a physical interaction. How much cooler if it was like, you know, Joe Rogan, where actually yeah, all, the room. all, all these people were in the room. I mean, look how, like, look how, um, impactful the talks are when we were sitting at this very table at the symposium with the talk to me, Johnny's, I get a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with Rob where I have an interaction almost every single day, but it's a virtual interaction because mm -hmm. we're not around each other enough. And it's such a more meaningful interaction. Uh, you know, and that well, was John, with John Howard, Howard. Yeah. At the last block one yeah, course, 90% of communication. Yeah. Uh, it was like an ordered an order of magnitude down with each um, yes. like technological form of communication. So like even though Ben, we're talking video conference, I can see your face. You can see he's not office. wearing pants. I mean, which is even weirder. Right. Our nervous system, yeah. our nervous system processes this interaction with fifty percent capacity than if you were actually in here in front yeah. of us with your pants off. Yeah. Right. It'd be a totally different. It'd be magical. But yeah. the idea of, uh, I mean, but uh, like case in point, there were numerous times where even on like the feed on Train Heroic and our training programs, I would say something or make a comment and people would instantly fucking get butthurt, which is pretty interesting because they talked about that in that book, that there was a change in people's perception huh. with the Internet where uh, all of a sudden people started like when they read Negative something. Lens? They huh. view everything as the most negative, most harmful, most damaging information. Like if I said, like I said to you, hey, great job, you know, or like then all of a sudden <laughs> everybody views it as this, you know, we're all fucked. Yeah. Uh, but like <laughs> what I do. But but so the idea comes down to uh, like, you know, they talk like how we can change. You have to believe in the inherent goodness of everybody that the, that what they're saying is not a negative deal that like in they use an example um, out at Claremont McKenna, which is ironic. because That's where my brothers went to school. They went to the Pitzer College, which is uh, the Claremont McKenna schools. Um, the this gal wrote something that like she felt that she didn't belong at the school because she was of some Hispanic, um, you know, like, you know, lower class, you know, system and that 
she only viewed people of color at the university as the people that were employed working there. Like obviously like the maids and the custodians were like more similar to her. And she's like, I think this is a terrible, um, you know, diversity in here. And she wrote this whole thing. And I guess the Dean of the school wrote it back, like, you know, something to the effect of, uh, you know, we need to break out, out of our mold, you know? And then she like took that as like an offense that the term mold, I mean, and just, if you read the book, it's completely blown out and it's like people are believing the worst at all times instead of taking the inherent goodness and believing that most people, especially people that you're interacting with want the best for you, especially in this environment. But because of the lens of not being around people, and I, I used to run this all the time, I'd say something to me get offended, and I'd be like, let me break this down. If you and I were sitting across from each other, and I were to say this, and you saw the, la- the, the look on my face, how would you interpret it? Oh, well, now you say it that way, then their fucking interpretation would dramatically change. And I'm like, dude, you, you have to assume... Um, you know, cause it's next to impossible for inflection. It's next to impossible for sarcasm or joking. I mean, it's just, people are very, very overly sensitive with it. And, uh, it's part of the problem. Yeah. Maybe if the train heroic feed had italics, then people would get, you know, or, sarcasm or maybe emojis. <laughs> emojis. Why, why can't we get fucking emojis? Yeah, where the in fuck there? the emojis, man? Uh, man, I, I didn't know we were catering to that demographic. Yeah. Uh, do you know how helpful an emoji is just to oh, be yeah. able to like a thousand words? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. When they post a video of the squat, John just replies with the shit face. Mm-hmm. No, I, I usually like the, uh, uh, the purple eggplant. I'm a big, uh, does nailed, that mean, does I'm that mean a it's a good squat guy? What's that? Eggplant means good squat. No. Oh it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Eggplant is always good. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, that's or is pot- eggplant. I've been using it wrong. What's eggplant mean now? McQuoken, what's your usage uh, of eggplant? I like Bumble. I, I, I like the eggplant when I'm referring to the, the D, aka the D wad, uh, the yes. daily workout of the day, mm-hmm. which to me was hilarious. Well, I, th- I like think when I created the whole D wad, I was like, well, we're giving people the D, and it's gonna be the daily workout of the day. And uh, people are like, I, I just don't get it. I'm like, you don't think exactly. it's fucking the yeah. irony of that? No, I, I still, I mean, I've been here for a decade, man. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Is it possible, Ben, if we change it to Johnny Eggplant Emajoy Wad? You think? What's an Emajoy? What is an Emajoy? Um, emotional, like emotional joy. It's an emotional pictogram. <laughs> Surprised you didn't know that. That's what it's short for, you guys. Is that like the Mimi? Yeah, the Mimi and the Emo Joy and basically my pronunciation of everything, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when's it, when do we get into Mojoys? Emo Joys. Uh, they come uh, with the Mimis. You should submit a support request. Our team will get right back to you. So ladies and gentlemen out there, if you want, yep. <laughs> yeah, we can, should be careful okay, what yep. we say because uh, it, it works. Yeah, emojis. So remember to send these directly to Ben at trainheroic.com that you want emojis. Or Josh. Or Josh. We just, jo- Overload Josh would, Josh. But here's the thing. Josh would just stay up for six days answering every single Responding one. Responding to them. Hey, I'm really sorry that I can't make your emoji dream come true, but I've uh, since linked up uh, the emoji movie for you to watch. Let me know if you want me to send you a direct uh, DVD copy. Let me know your address. I'll come over and hug you with a pecan pie. Like, <laughs> that's fucking job. Hey, I'm also including my, uh, um, what is it, like the password from from Netflix, so you can watch my Netflix just to make you happy. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, yeah, that's totally believable. That's why we love Josh. That's why we don't like Ben. Josh is everything. <laughs> We're all team Josh in this thing. Yeah, I am too, for what it's worth. <laughs> so Nobody's sitting on my side of the table. Ben, we talked about a little bit about 
employees and then generation. What about the generations of the coach? We can almost apply like an XYZ generation to coaches. You got the guys that didn't use spreadsheets. It was all feel. Then you got the spreadsheet guys. And now we got these guys that are getting into the, the data and applying that and programming. So how does the message change? You go to all these conferences every year. How's the message changed? Do you just give up on those old crusty dudes? What about those spreadsheet uh, well, fools? Yeah, I actually think we, we do pretty well with the old crusty dude you mentioned. Um, at least the ones who come to us, right? People come to us and they're looking to change. So we definitely have some bias in there, right? We don't have like an outbound sales model where we're trying to just pound the streets and get people to do that. We're like, hey, if you believe in what we believe, come here and we'll help you out. And so the people who come to us have a very open mind. But I do see a lot of struggle in terms of understanding where this stuff fits into people's life, right? You can give people data, but it's like, it's like a dog chasing a car. Like they're not going to know what to do when they get it. And that's where we see a lot of the industry at is people, the buzz is out. People want data. People want to understand analytics. They want to use this stuff. And what we see a lot in the strength coaching realm in general is there's a pretty fear oriented culture, right? There's, it's, it's highly, Volatile people are constantly getting fired. There's not a lot of job stability. And as a function of that, people are like, I know I need data. Somehow this will preserve my ability to keep my job um, or advance my career, et cetera. Um, but there's not a lot of orientation to the purpose of having the data. And I think it's like the word data itself just carries so much baggage and it, it teaches people to think a certain way. And at the end of the day, all it is is communication right? Programming intrinsically is a form of communication. You write something for somebody to do, you throw it over the fence. Ideally, you get something back from that person that says, here's how this felt. Here's how that went. Um, here's how I responded to it, et cetera. And so data should just be looked at as communication, right? A, a, any healthy relationship is a two-way street. I'm not just writing a program and just sending it to you ad nauseum without you ever letting me know how it's going. And so ideally, we're providing data to inform insights, which ultimately drive an intervention. And that's changing the program. That's telling people, hey, maybe today you shut it down, take a rest day, hit that phone roll or whatever that thing is. Um, or it's like, oftentimes it's just exposing lifestyle behavior. Like oftentimes people sleep terribly. They, they eat poorly. They don't take care of themselves. Those things show up in their training. And so I think like where we're really trying to lead right now is teaching people to leverage this data, which is this kind of like heavily uh, analytical brain kind of idea, and actually leverage that into a more human element, where it's like, how do you take this abstraction and make that uh, empower more human connections than ever before? And in the, oftentimes we're dealing in like one-to-many situations where you have one strength coach, 35 athletes training at a time, that happens class after class or schedule, whatever it is. And um, like, there's not a lot of check-ins that are actually happening. There's just not a, it, it would be impossible for the coach to do that. And so um, because we allow the coach to effectively collect data passively by having the athletes log it, then the coach can sit back and say, okay, here's everything that happened today. They can look at a singular dashboard and report and say, okay, this is what happened that I did not see. And hopefully it allows them to feel like they can see around corners a little bit and then provide interventions and support to athletes that otherwise might not receive that. Right. Because the last thing you want to do is somebody's off suffering back in a corner. Uh, they're slogging through their training and like they're overdoing it, underdoing it or whatever. It's like we're not getting them to stress in the right way. And that's 
ultimate goal of training. Um, so I think that's, we have a lot of work to do there to support our coaches so they know how to use the tools even better. Because otherwise, right now, they're coming to us for the tools and then they get them and they're like, now what do I do? And you're like, all right. We realize that when you come in the door, our job actually just started. When you signed up and paid us, that's not when we delivered the value to you. It's way downstream. And so we actually have to work harder once you sign up with us to deliver that value for you than ever before. Um, so I think that's a, a big insight and in learning that we've had where we've had to change our approach. We're really focused on education this year. We're really focused on clarifying the intent and purpose of data. Um, and then we're also constantly working just to make our tools easier, more lovable, and more fun to use. Um, and so I think along that front, our athletes, you know, a, a big thing that we're trying to shift to culturally with it, whatever reason, I've never understood this. A lot of coaches don't want their athletes to like have too much control over their training. They don't want them to like see it too early. They don't want them to like have access. They want to be able to like record it for them and do all this stuff. And it's a bizarre deal. Cause if, you know, we were talking some Daniel Pink earlier where it's like autonomy, mastery, purpose. We're fundamentally stripping away both the autonomy and purpose of any athlete by like keeping these secrets from them about their training. And I see this happening all the time in our industry. We want more and more data. But again, that from a relationship standpoint, if I'm taking data from you all the time, you never see this shit. You don't know what I'm using it for. It creates this very bizarre relationship where trust starts to erode. And people are like, wait, why do you need me to pee in that cup? And um, I think there's an opportunity for coaches to lean into this, where we are pushing the ownership of the training onto the athlete. We are teaching them why they're doing shit. We are, we're holding them accountable and responsible for recording their own progress. And then we're teaching them to actually understand their path. Be like, hey, you're here right now. You want to go up there? Cool. But you have to go here, 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 and here first. We can't freaking jump from A to Z. That's how you get hurt. And it's never going to happen. So just like I put out a post on this today, but it's like we need to teach people to fall in love with that process and really love progress over perfection. Because that's where people get obsessed. They want that end state. They want to be there so bad and they want to race past it. I've done that one million times in my life. And it's, it's, it's a pipe dream. It never works out. And along the way, you're probably going to get hurt. So I, I think like for us, we're really working with coaches to create more ownership of the training with the athlete. So they feel like they're, they are the captain of the ship in their own journey. And we believe that if they do, they're going to have better outcomes. They're going to be better people. They're going to take care of each other and be way more connected. And it's a bizarre thing where we're trying to use technology to really drive a non-technological benefit. Um, but it's the only way we can do it at scale. Have you ever sat back and wondered, Ben, what you would be doing if you didn't do the train heroic deal? I don't know. What do you think I would be doing? I have Man, no idea. Yeah, neither do I. Fuck. <laughs> you know, maybe, to, what's the name of that movie? How do you reach these kids? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> What is uh, the name of that movie? The teaching? What is it? There's, there's like fucking everybody. Stand and deliver? That's it. Yeah. Stand and deliver. Yeah. Oh. Ed, Edward Shays almost. Oh, yeah. yeah. How did you not fucking remember that movie? I don't know. I just remember the South Park episode where Cartman is that the character. Oh, Bill check. What's that, Ben? I said the low-income teacher probably should have known that more than anybody. Yeah, so exactly. What well, superficially yeah. with the, I mean... Big picture, I love it. Deep meaning, superficially, just from a coaching standpoint, I love the programming side of things. 
and how efficient it is. And dude, the I always had a pet peeve for the spreadsheet game and people interacting with other coaches that you know would s- confess how much time they spent like it's a badge of honor developing yeah. these crazy spreadsheets and all these formulas i'm like man that's fucking sucks <laughs> like i'm gonna go out and have a good time and enjoy my life you go ahead and stick with that but they and i i show them to train heroic and all the back end stuff and they still won't give that up it's um, dude i don't know a sense of pride that they invested so much time learning how to spreadsheet but uh man i love the back end you mm-hmm. know it's superficially you do love the back end i knew uh-huh. that was fucking coming uh, he walked right into that one he backed up into it wow oh. oh. so weird coach heroic. He, he just loves all the back end of all those old coaches but i did see <laughs> hey ben i did see that we got some new analytics today i was tinkering around with yeah yeah we're uh how we're accurate are they like 50 percent what's that like how accurate are is the uh, is the data we're getting? I mean, is it like within fifty percent? Like, is it on? Uh, Depends what the people input. Uh, yeah, uh, as good as the input. Time, all the time. In, in all seriousness, like that is something that I would say like uh, had a high degree of truth to it in the days of yesteryear, right? We had this like very kludgy data later um, last year. One of the things that made it really challenging was uh, we didn't we didn't really release much new functionality whatsoever. Right. We've gone through this story arc, if you will, that's been like we've basically built up, then torn the entire thing, built that built up again, torn the entire thing down. And we've had to start back at you know square one three times, which tech companies generally never survive that. Like if you if you go through one rebuild, it's like, hey, you're probably screwed. Um, and our guys have really weathered the storm. They've gone through uh, this is their third rebuild. Um, and last year was painful because we wanted to deliver all this new value to our customers. Basically everything we're doing this year, we had planned on doing last year. And, uh, one of those big projects that they took on last year was reworking our entire data layer to make sure that it was clean, to make sure that the numbers were accurate, that there was real integrity behind it and something that we could proudly stand behind. Um, because frankly, for years it was like, is that number accurate? I don't know, maybe. And part of it is, you know, we, part of it is like the, the technology itself had issues, but right. Like this is a, a bizarre thing to think about, but when you interact with another application, generally you have very few interactions with that thing. You're not typing like a million cells. When you log a single training session, it's not unusual to actually interact, literally record 50 different types of data, right? If you have like 10 exercises in a, in a given session, and each of those exercises has a certain number of sets, certain number of reps, and you're forced to record all that stuff, you're doing a lot of data entry. You're doing that with shaky hands, you're sweaty, you're tired, uh, maybe you have John thumbs, and like it's so easy to fat finger those things. And suddenly it's like, oh, I did 250 or 2,500. And then it's like, you just record it blindly, you don't see it, and then you go to your numbers, you check it out, it's like, oh, my working max is 3,000 pounds. The system sucks. It was tough because in some cases it was true. In other cases it wasn't. And now that we've rectified a lot of those data integrity issues and we've also cleaned up some of the user experience, those issues happen with rare and rare frequency. And um, so our, our team's going to continue to make progress along the analytics front. Coaches are not only going to get that data, like in our mind, layer number one of data is accounting. Like put the information in, get it out, make sure it's accurate. Layer number two is consulting. Let's take that data Let's actually make sense of it for you. Let's interpret it for you. 
there's all this huge data table. Let's actually just pull out the couple numbers that matter and point them out to you up top. To us, that's that next level of intelligence value that we're working to provide for people. So you can expect that starting to show up in the latter part of this year. But actually, primarily, like our focus, you know, well, well, as much as we would want to improve the back end for techs, um, a lot of our focus this year is on the athlete and really helping them find more, more joy in their journey of training and, and taking ownership of that experience so that they can get through those challenges, right? We want to make it easier to keep people on their path because we know if we can keep them on it long enough, they're going to acquire mastery. And so like, we believe our role in that hero's journey is like, Hey, make this shit engaging for them. Make it fun. Make it easy. Like they're going to go through enough obstacles on their own. We don't need to be one of the obstacles for them. And so a lot of our focus this year is just going to be describing that data story to the athlete, connecting with them in a better way than we have ever done before. And frankly, just making it more fun. Um, Cause like training shouldn't suck. It should be a good time. Uh, text. Does that cover everything? Or do you want to talk more about the back end? Yeah. More back end talk. Yeah. And if anybody's following Johnny Wad, they know training is fun <laughs> as fuck because John's just murdering well, people. Oh, yeah, we're melting faces. Uh, you know what, though? They wanted it. They fucking asked, and I was like... Uh, I saw T. Rose on the feed. Yeah, uh, yeah he popped well, up. Well, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Tombstone. You remember when he's like, <laughs> he's like, you wanted it. You tell the other curs, you know, hell's coming. And I'm like, you motherfuckers want it? I still got the fire hose. I'm going to pull this motherfucker out. And then people are like, oh, I still have some of the workouts. I'm like, motherfucker, I have every workout ever conceptualized on this thing and I have the whole history and I'm like oh when some guys like well I evolved 2012 I'm like bitch I got fucking 2009 all the uh, all the way up to the day it canceled mm-hmm. so fuck you and your 2012 you got on reddit oh, John, have you checked out have you checked out uh people's readiness scores since you launched that program uh yeah <laughs> um I, I'm going to give it like a little bit. It's a bit. race to the bottom. The, then. Yeah, We're the, trying to get everybody down to zero. It's, yeah, so, it's called gradation. <laughs> so what I'm really fascinated, actually, I'm tweaking on this uh, the other day was I, I, uh, our grindstone group, which is fucking by far my favorite group. It's like these fathers in season guys that can't get like a ton of training in. So we have mandatory days, optional days, recommended days. And um, I, I throw like, I'm, I'm pretty consistent on the volume and the intensity, how I do it. And I decided to completely flip their fucking world on top and up the intensity, up the volume, just fucking added like, like another six weeks out there. And all of a sudden their readiness scores like have plummeted <laughs> and there. And, uh, and I asked them like, how you guys doing? The readiness scores don't look that good. And they're like, we love it. But, uh, it's been a severe change in volume and intensity. And like, they were like, you know, like they all accepted it and they were like, you know, and then I talked to them about super compensation. We got to dig a hole to get out of it. And, uh, they all in, in, they're all in, but it's pretty interesting when you're on a certain cadence and people are going this way. And then all of a sudden you change some dials, all of a sudden seeing the readiness scores fall pretty unanimously across the board. Now, I think what's interesting is most of the guys that fall that are in their late 20s to early 40s, and they're professionals, dads, you know, and they all kind of fit within a similar demographic. Uh, They are all accurate reporters. They are by far my most accurate reporters on the readiness scores and in their training logs. Uh, The Johnny log or the Johnny wad, when I look at like the the leaderboard and shit, like these guys are either high as fuck. Uh, or just making up like fucking erroneous shit on it too. Oh yeah. And guys are always like these fucking cheaters. There's no way somebody did, you know, 360 pull-ups. Yeah. yeah. Bullshit. What are you a ninja? Yeah. So guys like actually, yeah, yeah, I am a ninja. (laughs) So 
like I constantly have to throw out these fucking outliers and your bell curving. But what I found is that my grindstone group is by far my most accurate reporters because they look at it that if they don't accurately give us information, then it doesn't help drive the program. And I try to tell them, I'm like, hey, your readiness scores drive the program. Your numbers allow me to kind of be able to make this thing, you know, use Chris's terms fluid. I call inherent periodization and uh, be able to progress this thing. And they really do an excellent job on reporting. They're all super consistent, which days they hit and how they do it. And uh, that group allows me really to see like a snapshot of what we're doing. Johnny Watt, at this point, um, I'm just fucking melting faces like Raiders of Lock, uh, Lost Ark style. And uh, so, I tell, love it. Talk about that. Like, what do you think the difference is? Because like your messaging is uniform, at least in my experience. Like you don't show up one way in one place and one way in a different place. And it's like, why, like, how have you gotten that level of compliance out of the grindstone folks? And like, even given that messaging towards the Johnny Watt folks, how come they don't demonstrate the same behavior? Uh, I think it's consistency. So what we found is that the people that have followed the grindstone program follow it for an extended period of time and are super committed to it. And I think that it, like correlation is not causation. It's probably the fact that they all are fairly regimented with dads. They have schedules. Uh, they're probably more organized by nature. So reporting information, they see more inherent value in it. Whereas I think the Johnny Wad people are a little bit more uh, fly by night, younger, um, just want to get in there and fucking, you know, do a salty wad and wad in their faces and whatever they got. But I think with that mentality, um, there probably isn't as much attention to detail with recording the information. Because I ask people, I'm like, hey, how, how accurate on the readiness scores? I just fucking yeah. blow through that shit as fast as I can. And that's, skip it. Yeah, right. I skip it or I blow through it. I don't fucking give a shit about it. It seems like bullshit. Whereas on the grindstone, they fucking love it. They're like, I think this is great information. Like, uh, you know, do you and then uh, the question I got is, do you need it? Does, is this information helpful to you? And I was like, yes, it's fucking paramount to the program. And every one of them is like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Whereas for the uh, the other groups, when I go through, I'm like, hey, the readiness scores are important because it allows me to see like trends but it only the trends only work if you're consistent in your training. Mm -hmm. And so like if somebody's like, you know, hey, I followed the program for three weeks and then my credit card got declined and I went back in and, you know, or I've skipped around on programs like we just have like the grindstone guys are super consistent in the numbers and the guys like that follow the program. They that's their program. They're in, but they also fit within a demographic. So it's just I, I think it just goes back into mindset and demographics. That's fascinating to see. I mean, you guys have such different cohorts, right? You like, by nature, you, you, you pre-selected entire personality groups into each one. Like, yeah. you know, for us, coaches are coaches. Well, we have the, to do all of our best to chop them up and, and slice the data. But like, you guys have that stuff pre-set up. Well, most of the, uh, and what people don't know is actually Ben Crookston was the other part of the Johnny Wad naming and information. I called Ben as I was driving home and I was like, man, we got to rebrand this thing. And I think at the end of the drive, we came up with Johnny Wad and you were like, you got to fucking do it. I'm like, let's do and it. I was like, and you're like, Luke hates this. And I'm like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not really feeling it. And, but, I'm, but as I tell I you all the time, John, things. I don't get these things. But, and as I tell you all the time, like, but that's never been like a proxy to not do something. Yeah. I'd rather be proven wrong. Yeah. Did you want to let, like, we have another couple, a couple other Johnny brands that are in the horizon. You want to yeah. share with, uh, uh, with Benny Boy? Yeah. Uh, Johnny Bod is coming out, yeah. which is an adjunct to Johnny Wad, which is just straight up, like straight up bodybuilding. So there's a lot of, uh, 
a, a lot of trunk work and a lot of just straight up just arms arms and you know traps uh trap shoulders and delts and a lot of arms that that you can stack on with johnny wad oh all right so it's a bolt-on it's not jack street no no it's basically a bolt-on that uh somebody would be able to say hey you know what i'm following johnny wad it's heavy hard fast you know i want to do some accessory work so i'm going to bolt on a little johnny johnny bod i want some guaranteed abs and fucking stunning arms oh easy 100 percent. fucking johnny bod Johnny Bot will do it for you. Yeah. The John Wilborn bicep vein? Is that a part of the guarantee? Uh, Guaranteed bicep is. veins. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point, Tex. Where do we put that in the fine print? Or plural? Bicep, like bicep three biceps. Vein. Yeah, I, I, vein. I used to have a real good, I, I still got a little bit. Oh, I, nah, yeah, still, little bit. still got a that little bit. It's like a, it's like a road map. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been working on that one. And then uh, I think the one thing that we do really well is the narratives. So we find fun ways to like make the training more enjoyable through the narratives. You know, I've been big uh, this time. I went and created a bunch of Spotify playlists and I dropped those into the training. Uh, we'd link up songs. I don't know if you know, like actually we put like and people always like, oh, what's this? You know, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, the Four Horsemen. And I'm like, is that a workout? I'm like, no, click on the fucking tips. It's fucking Metallica, motherfucker. Yeah. And so we've been finding just fun ways to try to drop music and like make like a complete experience. And, um, you know, like the other one is, is on the sign up. Like when somebody signs up to like Johnny Wad, they get like information. I just think that the more boutique and I think the more, um, concierge the service can be not just outside of train heroic, like the train heroic is there, but like, what are all the other things that we're doing to enrich it opposed from just like, we run the same cycle every six weeks and there's no fucking narrative. Just do it. Like, I, I just think that that uh, we've shown good proof of concept to, like, make a better experience. Well, the, the programs are a goal. They reverse engineer from a goal and the narratives put the athlete in the mindset of our expectation of execution. So I love the narratives and I think they're extremely important because the athlete needs to know why we're doing this so they can put intent, right, deliberate practice into the training to accomplish the goal that they signed up for. Well, and, and part of the thing, um, too, especially with like, uh, talk to me, Johnny, which I think we're going to peel out and like, um, it, you know, talk to me, Johnny was really cool. And then we kind of brought it as a sub blog. I'm actually going to, I'm pressuring Luke right now to peel it out. And then, uh, I want to start writing some more detailed narratives about the cycles so that if people can come in and they're like, Hey, I'm doing the potentiation cycle and field strong, there should be some, something written about what was going through my mind or what we were attempting to do. Because, um, I think the age old, just fucking do it. Don't ask questions. I think works for some people, but I think a lot of people are curious. Hey, why? Like, um, a big one. Somebody was like, I, I think I had one that was called like mechanical or mechan- mechanical growth factor. And, uh, this guy was like, well, why is it called mechanical growth factor? I'm like, cause M C M E C H A N O mechanical is, a is a, a, like an actual growth factor in the body. So like just reading and just trying to find like fun ways to, to, to name stuff and be able to have when, like, when does the safe space Johnny Wad cycle come out? Ooh. Ooh, uh, that's actually next week. Yeah, safe space. Uh, yeah, I, uh, dude, I'm spoiler alert. It's not safe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's fooling you. Uh, but I, I think like including things like, um, you know, like CrossFit was great with, uh, on the rest day, they would always post some, like some narrative or like some information to have discussion. And I did that for years on CrossFit football's page, uh, just cause I thought that it was so good that, you know, you're, 
bringing people together that are following a common form of training and you're trying to get them to exchange ideas. Um, you know, the only difficult thing is that the feed on train heroic is not searchable. It just kind of floats. So I, I always think that like there is half of there, there needs to be a way for me to be able to like pull people. But now that we can pin pieces now, like I'll, I'll do things and I can pin them up there, which keeps them on a constant. So, I mean, that's been a nice feature. So just finding ways to like work within the technology and the features to make the experience more rich for people. So John talk, like, I think it'd be awesome for you to talk about that. Cause in my experience, that was, that's a lot of personal growth you went through. Like, I remember when we started, you were just like, I just wish these people would just do this fucking program. It works. And then you're like, you know, everybody wants to do sexy training. Well, and, and but uh, our stuff's based. Yeah. But if you ever read any of the original stuff like before we transitioned over train heroic, dude, there was fucking epic amounts of information that I would write. And what was cool was that I was able to look at the daily training and then be able to modify based off of what the results I saw because everybody was compliant on reporting. So within the comments, people were like, hey, this is how I mean, we did a huge training cycle for like a thousand people and asked for video. And I dude, like two weeks. I'm sitting there watching fucking videos of one RMs. And like I was trying to like put all this into like fucking spreadsheets and we're trying to figure out all these numbers. And, you know, I get to the end of it and I was like, I don't see any common thread, dude. Everybody just looks fucking slow. And that's what drove compensatory acceleration. And I was like, do you guys know how to move fast with a barbell? And they were like, no. You're sp- yeah. and, I, and that's the age old where I'm like, no, I am. And you're like, no, this no, is what it's supposed to look yeah, like. And so, you throw some videos. Yeah. And, and then we put in compensatory acceleration stuff. and we started talking about, you know, don't let, you know, the old George Zangus don't lift weights like old people fuck slow and careful. And uh, like a lot of that stuff came out of, in real time. But I like when we had it as this kind of private paywall site, man, I used to write extensively because I wanted to educate the people that were doing the program. Um, but at the end of the day, like, uh, when people come to it, like we used to get a lot of this whole, like, ah, modification here. And everybody was trying to do these secret squirrel hybrid shit. I'm like, just follow the program. If it's written, like, that's a big thing, man. What that's real frustrating too. Like I, we get this and I'm sure you guys see it too. Oh, I, I started the first week of the program and uh, it's not for me. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's not for you. How long did you follow it? One week? I'm like, come on, dude. Like, like that doesn't even make sense. Like if somebody sends me a program, I'm going to give at least six weeks just to see. Uh, you know, and like, I'm, I'm always a fan when somebody sends me something, I always do it. I mean, I'm always like, fuck it. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. And I think there's something so freeing in just doing it right. Like, Hey, let's just do it for six weeks. I'm literally not going to ask a question. Yeah. Here to this thing. I show up, I have nothing to think about. It's mindless. And I'm just going to go to work. Like, especially in today's day and age where it's like, we're bombarded with thinking. It feels amazing to just go live in your body for 90 minutes and just go suffer. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why people resist that so much. Yeah. Well, we're right in the middle of that. We're actually doing, uh, we like our training didn't link up with the power athlete metabolic conditioning cycles, which is based off of the Nebraska metabolic conditioning cycles. And so, uh, as soon as like the field strong got done with it, I rebooted and we've been doing it and it's fucking awful. We're going into like, what's this week five. It is the worst. It's, I, I it's, believe five. Yeah. We're, we're in week five. It's fucking awful. Like, like, and I remember the dark days were coming and we're almost at the end of this thing. And I'm like, God damn it. Eh, it's not that bad. <laughs> Last week was awful though. Yeah. If you don't go heavy, it's okay. But if you fucking go yeah. heavy. I mean, I feel like, like all, my weights are all heavier than everybody's. That's bullshit. Like that time you subbed the movements for unilaterals. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You remember. How you, come Wellborn can do that, but I can't. What are you talking about? 
You oh, you do barbell press? No, I got to do. Well, I can't lift my right uh, hand over my shoulder. Uh, but you don't hear me bitching out about it. I, You're like, oh, I'm all jammed up. I'm all jammed up. I'm like, yeah, I can't put my hand over my head, Mister Fucking Jammed Up. Yeah, I couldn't put my fucking shoes on that day, <laughs> so I came in with the brain. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Hoity Toity. Yeah, yeah, over there. Well, I basically played. Had a ten year career in the NFL, <laughs> basically. And I still get up basically. and fucking yeah. Yeah, high school state football champion. Who can say that in this room? <laughs> huh? That's some real deal in the Midwest. Right, Kirk? That's like playing in the NFL. It is, in my house. <laughs> you know, this, I need a safe space. This discussion feels harmful. Threatening. You're causing me stress. And therefore yeah, the, the stress safe space, that's their new nickname for the 815 crew, John. Uh-huh. Oh, well, man, jeez. I mean, 6 o'clock this morning was pretty good. How was the 610 workout, John? Uh, it, was, it was good. I uh-huh. rode the bike for 30 minutes and then went and got in the uh, uh-huh. sauna. Uh-huh. So, Ben, we have two, we have a split training time. So uh, some some of the staff here at Power Athlete. Those are happening within a four-person team. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so, we do. We have a 6 a.m. where the hard workers come, and yeah. then the fucking lollygaggers show up at 8.15. Yeah, so the so there's a, 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 five, a 4.45, 5 a.m. slack check-in where we start the day and get through most of the, most of the task-oriented or creative work and then come in for an 8.15 training session and then clock out at 6 p.m. So that's, that's squad A, the 8.15 crew. Then the 6 a.m. crew roll in about 6.15, 6.20, drink coffee for about 20, 25 minutes, maybe train, maybe they don't. Maybe they follow the program, maybe they don't. And then uh, they bust out of there about 7.30, come into the office about 10.30, 11, and then uh, 1 p.m. comes around, they go home. Oh, my God. So that's how I see the, that's how I see the split. And I have, uh, I have my, my fellow 8.15er over yeah, here who uh. is very punctual, on time, tidy as well. Uh, that's confirming the facts. Uh, this is a load of bullshit. These are 100% accurate people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're telling me Span stays till six? Oh yeah, every day. I mean, mentally. <laughs> you know, we're, like we're talking about mental intent, not actual. He picks his kids up at 4.15. I see him skulk, skulk out at like 3.30. Yeah, we're talking. He goes out the back door. We're talking Eastern time. You know, the problem is I, I got cams everywhere, so I know where everybody's <laughs> fucking hiding. I got all these pictures of techs over there, you know, doing weird things with trees. Mm-hmm. Just going weird Making first. love to Mother Earth. <laughs> <laughs> is, isn't, there, isn't that called like a Tinder section or uh, there's a, somebody that has sex with it's trees? It's Tree Ender, like yeah, Tree Dash like, Ender. It's a new app. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anyway. Botanical mm-hmm. love. Are you still a big Tinder guy? Moving on. Ben, any more questions for the crew? <laughs> He's a hinge guy. Mm. I'm, I'm, oh, did you see the Bumble Super Bowl commercial? Bumble BFF. Blew my mind. I can't believe it. Bumble BFF. What's Bumble? Um, Bumble's a classy Tinder yeah. where the chicks get to give you the green it's light. The Sadie Hawkins of Tinder. Girls uh, ask you out. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Text, where do you where do you fare better? Bumble or Tinder? Craigslist? Or Craigslist. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> John, he told you that in confidence. <laughs> that was a confession. Is this that one time? No, nothing on Craigslist? Hey, You've ladies, never been on a Craigslist. If date. you want to oh, if you want to date Chris McWilkin, aka Tex, remember to send an email to Cali at powerathletehq.com. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What's the, what's this? What's the 2019 Luke Summers wedding date? Luke's getting married again. I don't no. think we can handle it. The whole podcast 2018. It was a uh, uh, Ben Crookston's got a wedding coming up. Oh man. Ooh. Cool. 
So. Facts. All right. We got uh, anything else? Nope. We burned an hour and a half with the with our good friend Ben. Ben, anything else, man? We didn't talk about this. I I, I just I want to hear John stance in the Super Bowl. Uh, Patriots man. Uh, it was probably he's, he's going to yawn really loudly into the microphone. <laughs> it was by far the worst game I've ever seen. Thank you. Like that was awful. Like it was like a, I had an offensive line coach that used to refer to things like that as a toothless dog fight. And uh, <laughs> he. I, <laughs> Like it was, it was fucking awful. The fact that like the, the best play, like the, like I felt like the first real play of the game was uh, when all of a sudden that dude busted out that run with like two fifty seven. Like, I mean, uh, and then obviously Gronk's catch, which I thought was hilarious. Cause I'm like, how do you not con- like cover Gronk into the, like along the sideline? Like, dude, your description of how he runs was fucking spot on. Dude, he morning. runs like a fucking camel. Like he's like, like watching lo- a camel. He's run. like, he's like loping along <laughs> and I'm like watching it. I'm like, Oh God, they're going to throw it to Gronk. And there was two dudes on him and he pulls it down and I'm like, Jesus, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like they, they keep, and it, it, he's so broken and so beat up. His elbows all fucked up, but he still catches the he ball. He delivers, man. No, he like, does. He's a gamer. Oh yeah, the best. And then, big and then, uh, yeah, he gets down there and they they score. And I'm like watching this thing. And then Edelman gets like MVP. And I'm like, wow, they were really searching. I mean, they yeah. they were. No, they were. They, who are they going to give it to? Well, it it does blow my mind that six Super Bowls for Brady championships, three of the MVPs were wide receivers. Think about how many casts of characters. No, one th- common th- thread. Th- th- guys. Think about this: how, how many casts of characters that Brady's won with from like the Wes Welkers and like I was going through all the offensive linemen and like Izzo and like Brewski and like uh, like uh, um, uh, Vrabel and like I'm thinking of all these dudes like running backs and like all of the offensive line dudes that I'd known that he's played with and like the only thread Brady and Belichick and they keep fucking winning Edelman's the first PED MVP so suspended the first four games of the season for performance enhancing drugs and then wins the Super Bowl MVP Wow. Hmm. Good for him. I mean, dude, uh, it's um, the Rams, like the, the uh, what's the name of the Rams head coach? Sean McBay. Sean McBay. The look on his face was one of bewilderment the entire fucking time. He was like, like that coach in the water boy. Yeah. He was like <laughs> hiding in the back and they're like, Hey, you got to get out there. He's like, uh. he just, he, he had this bewildered look on his face the whole time. And uh, he like, couldn't figure it out. And I was like, man, that, I, like he looked like he wanted to go over and get Belichick's autograph. That's what it looked like to me. Man. So, uh, you know, and I, uh, yeah, it just, it looked to me like the Rams were just happy to be there. Because I, I remember when the Rams, didn't the Rams beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl? Or no, they, they lost. That was Brady's first. So they won in 99, beat yeah. the Titans, Music City Miracle Year. Yeah. Then 2000, they were supposed to blow out uh, Tom Brady, the backup, right? Because Bledsoe. Yeah, that's right. And then, surprise. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Uh, it, it just looked like they were uh, just happy to be there. They were excited. But, I mean, you got to think, too, like going to the Super Bowl after leading up to that to have that level of young guys, too. I think that they had, like, I don't think anybody on the Rams had ever been to a Super Bowl. I'm, yeah, so. I'm not sure. But, like, when you go to that, see that whole hoopla, you show up. I mean, like, all, like, the uh, the media days and all the hoopla leading up to it. It's pretty, like, um, I guess you could say, like, overwhelming. So I have to think for a lot of young guys or for people that hadn't been to that situation, whereas fucking Brady just goes back and it's like putting on an old coat that you that you know that you left in your closet. He's like, this is what I've done. I got to say, this morning when we were doing recap, I was shocked at how much you enjoyed the halftime show. Didn't know you were a big Maroon oh, 5 God. guy. So, well, so we're, John's alma mater's <sighs> tattooed on his belly. Uh-huh. 
So we're watching. We're, so my daughters love the show, The Voice. They think it's like their favorite show. Like they, they, they do. They uh, we t, uh, DVR them, and they love to watch The Voice. So they they're all excited that uh, Adam from Maroon Five is going to be on there. And so we're watching it, and they're like, "Oh!" And then all of a sudden, I hear like Outcast come out, and I was like, "Oh shit, Outcast!" And they're like, no Andre 3000. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And then all of a sudden he gets up there and they're playing all the songs. Then he took his shirt off. And my daughters were like, ooh. <laughs> like, it was pretty funny. Because even, and they, they were like, he looks really uncomfortable. Even he like took his shirt off and he was like, oh shit, I just took my shirt off on national TV. I'm really not in good enough shape to be doing this. And he's got a bunch of weird fucking tattoos. But mm-hmm. yeah, he, uh, he didn't do himself any favors. Well, I chalked that one up into like, just... Another Sunday, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like that was not a super exhilarating Super Bowl. I did eat fucking like fifty chicken wings though. Nice. You yeah. cooked a ton of chicken wings. I smashed them, so I had that going for me, which is nice. I always thought that they should have made the day after the Super Bowl a national holiday. So it C- basically, C.J. Anderson, the Rams running back, was on the Broncos for Peyton's Super Bowl. Oh, okay. So well, I, I, he's also a Berkeley guy. I also saw uh, that the oldest offensive lineman in the league. Uh, who's only at 36 with his 13 years or 30, yeah, 36, uh, who plays for the Rams. I was laughing. They're like, the oldest lineman in the league has only got 13 years in. I'm like, holy shit. I played with like Willie Rofe and those dudes that were all like 12 and 13, 14 year guys. So that's so, crazy to me that like the oldest lineman in the league is only 13 years. Game is, is that more. What's that? That's something that's changing. Yeah, I think so. Games more wow. violent. Guys are playing less. Uh, Explain. What's that? game is is less violent now and guys are playing less well i think it comes down to money um i just think that like it's not like if you look at the way this the 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 minimums and the cap works and all the money uh it's just it's not financially people out yeah it, it it's not worth it for them to have guys that are older like that and then also i just think that the uh the rate of the game has changed it's just a, it's it's not the same game so i just think it's uh i mean it it's a. They're trying to make the game as as uh, as exciting as they can for fans, but that involves throwing the ball. So all the rules are are really about protecting the receiver and the quarterback. In this, I mean, think about how many. Like, when was the last time you saw somebody? And even though every fucking coach says the exact same thing when they go, like, "Hey, what's the game plan? We have to establish a run game." Yeah. And they never fucking do. There's never a fucking run game anymore. I Gurley wasn't running yesterday. No. Well, yeah, because what happens? All of a sudden, people just want to chuck the ball and throw it every time because that's what people want to see. So, like, the very, very few teams have actually come down and, like, put in a fucking solid run game and really run the shit out of the rock. They just don't do it anymore. So then you watch most of these offensive linemen. They don't even know how to get into three-point stances. They look so awkward when they get down. I'm like, you guys don't run the fucking ball anymore. But you also have to, the way that you craft and you learn to run the ball is in practice by doing it over and over and over. Nine on seven, fucking team drill, inside run. And they don't do that shit anymore. Checking Super Bowl stats here. 35 pass plays. Brady completes only 21. 32 run plays for New England. L.A., 38 pass plays, only 19 completed, and 18 runs. Wow. That's how many that's only how many plays they, they had? They had less than how many plays? They had less than 60 uh, plays. Math, yeah. 38 plus 15, 18. Nobody knows. Yes. Is that 50 it's less than 56? Mm-hmm. Fuck man, like that's insane cuz when we went into a game, uh we knew that we were going to have roughly 70 touches. So when I played with the Chiefs, our goal was to have at least 70 plays. 
So to actually come in and if, if we had 58 plays, there'd be a, that would be a 53 fight. or 53 play. That, that would be a failure. That means that we didn't control the ball. And the way you control the ball in the NFL is you run the fucking rock. And you run like not this bullshit where it's like, you know, you got to run it on third and one, you know, whatever. But like you come in and you establish a run game. Just, I just don't think they do it anymore. But it's because that's what the league is protecting. I mean, shit, if you think about it, like they can't even touch the, really the quarterback anymore. Like every time I watch a sack, it's like they throw the fucking flag. So if that's the case and I know that they're that the defensive linemen aren't going to be fucking teeing off on the like, why not fucking throw the ball? So, I mean, they can't hit receivers anymore. So it's different, but it's a sad day. Well, and but Brady will play till he's 100. Brady's probably got another five to 10 years on him. Yeah, yeah he is. Like nobody touches him. Did you see that in the playoffs they had ninety? They they pressured him ninety five times. You know how many sacks he gave up? Zero. He doesn't get no, fucking one, hit. One yesterday. He gave up one yesterday. Brady doesn't get hit. He doesn't get touched. I mean, it's just like the guy can play for as long as he wants to play. But so. why? Would, like I don't know. I guess fucking ego. It's fucking ego. Yeah. I mean, psychopath. And instead of killing people, you're fucking playing football. Yeah. I mean, you know, like his wife makes what, like 40 million a year. So it's not like they need the money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it's like it's got to be ego at this point, like six Super Bowls. So like now you've won six championships. The only other person to do that is what? MJ. Is is, yeah. Michael Jordan. So you're already the like the greatest. Mm -hmm. You're going to be the first ballot, first, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame. So what's he playing for? Fucking what else am I going to do with my life? Fucking good for him. Mm hmm. On the commercial front, I thought the NFL had the best commercial when they were like at that mock Hall of Fame oh, deal. Yeah. How the ball great was that? Ground. I thought it was fucking hilarious, man. That was well, great. You weren't in that, man. How, how come I wasn't? Yeah, he was in the background. Yeah, I was in the back. Yeah, you didn't see me? Well, uh, I, you know what was great is they, they fucking pooled and brought the NFL's best players. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I had like it, it was pretty hilarious, like, watching it. Like, you saw Mike Singletary. Yeah, fall, fumble. Yeah, like, you see that one. I mean, dude, like, uh, they handed it to uh, Franco Harris. I mean, dude, like, like going Eddie through. Eddie George. Yeah, Eddie George. I mean, dude, it was great. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I saw it, and I, like, I laughed just to see all those players. And then, like, it shows uh, Terry Bradshaw. And I, I want to say they had uh, uh, Joe Namath in there, too. I think. Yeah. The odds are. Yeah, I mean, it was fucking great. Uh, what a great commercial. Also, for them to be able to put a step and be like, hey, these are the best guys to ever play the game, which they were all Hall of Famers. Yeah. I mean, they, as they should be. Tony G. Yeah, Tony G. G. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he got in there at the end. That's good, too. Yeah, he was first round, uh, first ballot, too. He made the Hall of Fame, too. Good for him. Like, anybody fucking was shocked on that. Dude yeah, played, right? like, 17 years, too. Mm-hmm. And what the crazy part is, is he could have kept playing. He's like, and I remember when he called me, he's like, yo, man, we could have played 20 years like this. He's like, these kids today couldn't go through one of Dick Vermeil's training camps. You know, those were fucking two, three-hour practices a day, pads every fucking day. So, See the hardest coach you had, John? Uh, I mean, the practice schedule was pretty demanding. Andy Reid's first couple of years were pretty demanding. And um, it was, uh, I mean, I remember we were in preseason. So we were in training camp and we had a bye in preseason. So we were in training camp for six weeks. And it was pads. It was, uh, we'd go pads in the morning, pads in the afternoon, pads in the morning, and then we'd have special teams practice. So it was like three out of four practices were in pads. And then you'd have a special teams practice, which was obviously, you know, shells. And we did that shit for six weeks. I remember thinking like, 
don't know if I'm going to be able to fucking make this. This isn't fucking insane. And now, and now it's like, I think they have what, like just a handful of padded practices they can do in training camp. So I think that when they came in with the new CBA, they were really good about protecting the players. Cause they were just, a lot of people got wore the fuck out. Yeah. So, well, I thought Vermeil was the oldest coach to win a Super Bowl, but now it's Belichick. Now it's Belichick. Yeah. You think Belichick hangs it up if Brady hangs it up? Or you think they're going to go out together? Or you think at this or point... Or is they that just, an ego thing that or you Belichick think can win without... Has to supersede the other. Or you think that it's... Uh, you think that they're at the point now where they just fucking hate each other? They're like, we have the same amount of Super Bowls. Fuck you. I like that reality better. And like to Texas' point, they're just trying to fucking like outlast one another. Oh, man. So Brady doesn't want to go down until Belichick goes down. Uh, yeah. And then I saw, what's his name? Um, who is, uh, who's the owner? Kraft? Did you see him Dude, out there dancing guy. with Cardi, uh, Cardi B or whoever it is? Stealing blueberries? Bro, I got to tell you, every time I see that fucking guy Do you imagine TV, the blueberry story? No, dude. I, like, That's, he, I, I was do. telling Tex. I do. I, he seems like a guy who has like fucking people tied up in his fucking basement like something about well you know he was married and pretty straight laced and then his wife passed away from cancer and uh he got married to a younger broad and now he's out there fucking slaying it man just to take your former teammates phrase his Some... girl ain't right man <laughs> i don't know what it is about that dude uh my favorite story about him is that putin stole his super bowl ring did you ever hear that one? <laughs> so he, he goes at this political thing and he's like big political guy and he meets Putin and Putin like asks like, oh, let me see. You know, I've never seen a Super Bowl ring. So he takes it off and it was from their first championship. He like takes it off and Putin's looking at it and is like, oh, thank you. Like tries it on. He's looking at it and he just turns and walks away. And the Secret Service uh-huh. like goes right behind him and he's like, ah, ah, <laughs> Is ah. this a real story? Yeah. And, on, and if like you look real? it up, yeah, oh. fucking Putin stole Bob Kraft's fucking Super Bowl ring. And still ring has it. And still has it. Get the fuck out And just walked away with it. He's like, oh, thanks. And just walked away with the Super Bowl ring. And Putin punked him for the Super Bowl ring. Oh, it's on film? Yeah. Did they have it on video? It's fucking great. Oh, God. That's and so, awesome. and, and like, he, it was the One first. For Russia. Yeah. <laughs> and he's never given it back. And like, it was a big deal. Ah. Uh, that's some fucking that's cold blooded shit. So when he stole that kid's blueberries, I fucking was like, good. Putin punked you yeah, for your it's ring. on. NFL's YouTube network. That's how you know it's real. Yeah, no, that's a fact. <laughs> it's a, it's a good wow. story. Yeah, but no, it's uh, I, I'll tell you this, man. I, um, I would have loved to have played uh, a whole season. I mean, I got hurt, obviously, and that was the end of it. But, man, I would have loved to play played at the Patriots for just the chance to be able to, you know, fucking play in that dynasty and do it, man. It's just it blows my mind the amount of players. And, oh, and dude, people always say that Tom was always the nicest dude and was always super cool. And every time I saw him was always very, very friendly. And um, fucking dude, stoked for him. Mm-hmm. But people fucking won't hate him. I mean, he's got a ton of fashion sense. I mean, like, dude, the guy's married to like you know supermodel. Like, the, it's like uh, you've got when all. I mean, have like there's a bunch of people that are like fuck that dude, and it's more because they're like, well, he jealousy stinks. Yeah, man. it's fucking. I mean, yeah. who's not who's not a little jealous? I mean, like all the other bullshit. I'm just what I'm a little jealous of is he got to play as long as he did. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, shit, man, I, 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 like, I would have loved to have played that long. It just, but you got to figure, like, the lifestyle probably changes as soon as you start to fight time, right? I think they had, didn't they have a uh, series, like a video series, Tom vs. Time? Yeah. Right? And just how, like, everything he's doing to combat, yeah. you know, the, the effects of aging. Hey, fuck, man. Like, yeah, whatever he's doing, he's working. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he goes in and... I, I think I told you, like, um, in the locker room, my locker was across the hall from him. He has, like, ten lockers. His whole cor- He has his whole corner. 
And I remember being like, nah, dude's got a whole fucking corner. And I'm like, well, he has been here longer than everybody else. Yeah. You know, like, like another room each year he's been. Well, there. he has his own little training room. It has mm-hmm. his own like staff of people. And it was pretty interesting. I was like, huh. Big diva. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, but uh, why wouldn't he be? Fuck. Yeah. You know, working. Yeah, it's working for him. It's going good. So I'm stoked for him. Cool. Well, Benny, thanks for the time, man. It's good yeah, catching up. If we'll people catch want it, we'll yeah. catch you on the internet. If people want to all, come and creep on, interactions happen. If people want to creep on you, where do they want it? Where should they go? You want them to go train heroic? You want them to go um, to your you own trainheroic.com. You can, uh, I just started reusing the Instagram, Instagrams, uh, following the Power Athlete Symposium. People were like, hey, you should use this. And I was like, fine. Uh, I, I, I get on there once a quarter, I post like three times really quickly. And then I get off for like six months. Um, mm-hmm. so if you want some really sporadic fire okay. to be, how come, uh, B C R O O X 10 B crooks 10 is my handle. Oh, that's oh, what the 10 is for. Wait, what's you, a 10 crooks 10? Yeah. You guys didn't know that? No, I mean, no. I knew, I didn't know if you knew. Oh. Yeah, they didn't go to Berkeley. Oh yeah. Oh. Went no. to the Berkeley no. of the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Division three. I, I won't even call mine that. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thanks, In brother. Power Athlete Nation. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for listening. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. There are endless training opportunities on trainheroic.com. Regardless of your goals, your schedule, your setting, you can find something that works for you and your team. And most importantly, you can track your training with incredible detail. That is why it is Power Athlete's chosen platform for all of our training protocols. So I encourage you to hop on trainheroic.com. Follow Train Heroic on Instagram to keep up with Ben and his crew. Until next time, bye!